If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? We don't mean to complain, Holy One, but the lectionary seems to be trolling us. The suggested text from the prophet Jeremiah proclaims, For whenever I speak, I must cry out, I must shout violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become to me a reproach and derision all day long. Yes, indeed, the gospel is a reproach to the merciless, to the warmongers, to the clickbait. And we all too often find ourselves deserving of those labels. But like Jeremiah, we too know, if I say I will not mention the Lord or speak any more the Lord's name, then within me there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Indeed, the gospel is persistent. We know what is right. We know the things that make for peace. And we know what tables need to be overturned. So let us keep confessing our sin. Let us keep repenting. Let us keep turning from our wicked ways. Stoke the burning fire in our bones, Holy One. Make us weary with holding it in. And then renew us as only love can. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 10, verses 6 through 14. And the Gibeonites sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who live in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the fighting force with him, all the mighty warriors. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who inflicted a great slaughter on them at Gibeon, chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as the Ezekah and Makkah. As they fled before Israel, while they were going down the slope of Beth Horon, 
the Lord threw down huge stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in mid-heaven, and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded a human voice, for the Lord fought for Israel. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Last week in our dialogue sermon, the Reverend Chris Moore and I joked that we know it's Pride Month because it is suddenly a thousand degrees every day. It is that time of year when everything is sticky and sweaty and so very hot. It is hard to remember that it was just a few months ago that it snowed two days after Easter and the sunshine felt very far away. In fact, yesterday was the summer solstice, the longest day of the year for those of us in this hemisphere, the moment when the sun reaches the Tropic of Cancer, its northernmost point from the equator. We were not yearning for the sun yesterday. We were wondering if it would ever give the moon a chance and let the earth cool down a bit. The term solstice comes from the Latin words sol, or sun, and sistere, to stand still. At the solstice, the angle between the sun's rays and the plane of the Earth's equator appears to stand still. In most places, we experience this phenomenon as the longest day. The sun doesn't disappear well after we think it should. Uh, at the Arctic Circle, the sun hugs the horizon for a continuous 24 hours. It's really rather extraordinary, the solstice. This is one of the more practical explanations for the Bible story we read today. Israel had been called on to aid the Gibeonites, neighbors, who were under attack. Israel answered the call, and they are victorious after a day longer than any other, which some have been quick to explain as a solstice event. It's not that God actually heeded Joshua's request that the sun stand still and the moon stop. It's that the battle in question happened to be fought on the longest day of the year. Only the ancient Israelites didn't know to call it the summer solstice, so they attributed it to God. Same with the supposed extreme weather event that happened just a few verses before that, when God is said to have thrown stones from heaven. It has been suggested that this report was inspired by a fierce hailstorm that occurred during the battle. 
there always seem to be two poles from which explanations of these kinds of stories come. On one end of the spectrum, the belief that what was written down actually historically happened. And I find these kinds of interpretations to be restrictive and a little terrifying. I mean, what kind of god throws icy balls at humans? But I also find the insistence on practical explanations for Bible stories like this boring and just as much of a stretch as the literal belief that God threw down huge stones from heaven on Israel's enemies or pushed the pause button on the earth's rotation. We tend to explain such accounts as the result of ancient misunderstandings of natural phenomena. Most readers of the Bible seem to be stuck in literalism. Even those who claim to be non-literalists engage in mental gymnastics to try to explain that it wasn't God who killed all those people, it was a hailstorm. Both interpretations miss the point, for as theologian Don, John Dominic Crossan reminds us, it is not that those ancient people told literal stories and we are now smart enough to take them symbolically, but that they told them symbolically and we are now dumb enough to take them literally. The authors of Joshua are using battle imagery and descriptive language known in other traditions. There is a very similar story in the Iliad in which Agamemnon prays that the sun will not set until the battle is won. And like all other books in the Bible, Joshua was written with an agenda or two in mind in this case, to serve particular theological and nationalistic interests. Most of the time, we don't actually talk about the book of Joshua at all. It's barely included in the lectionary, and this story isn't one of the options of those that are included. The book is relentlessly violent. After all, as I said earlier, it served nationalistic interests. And it is the myth of how Israel took possession of the land it believed had been divinely promised. This is not something to simply ignore, either by not preaching from it or by pretending the violence isn't there. What we point out to our kiddos in Sunday school is that along with some really good advice to not let fear or discouragement overcome us, the book of Joshua also tells us how the Israelites had been enslaved for a very long time and needed a new place to call home. In their search to find a new home, they encountered people who were not always good neighbors, and the Israelites themselves were not always good neighbors. And the story inspires us to think about how we ourselves live as neighbors. We do not pretend that the Israelites had divine right or manifest destiny to enter Canaan, but that violence done in the name of God is still violence. If that's not the takeaway you got from Sunday school as a kid, welcome to progressive Christian Sunday school. But back to the story we read today. We could do plenty of work around nationalism and claims around how God does or does not intervene in history. But when I read the story, I couldn't help but wonder about the people on the ground. And if this story in any way 
is supposed to speak to us about, about how it feels to fight for one's life, to be under attack, to be called on to defend our neighbors who are under attack, then I wonder if this isn't a story that reminds us that centuries ago, there were people who looked up at the sky and said to themselves, much like we say to ourselves during the summer solstice, this has been such a long day. Will it ever end? A long day of fighting, a long day of defending, a long day of fear. This is what it feels like to be black in America. They are wondering when this day of discrimination, this day of being afraid to let their black teenagers walk to the gas station or hang out at the mall, this day of being suspe suspected and managed and policed, when will the sun set on this endless day? And instead of wondering when the day will end on white supremacy, more than a few white Americans are wondering when we can stop talking about white privilege and Black Lives Matter. More than a few white Christians are wondering when we can stop listening and learning and be granted permanent ally status. And from that point of view, the sun better stand still a while longer. There is so much work to do to defeat the enemy of comfortable complacency. But if we can hear ourselves in that part of the story, we can also hear ourselves in another part of the story, the part that reminds us that centuries ago, there were people who looked up at the sky and said to themselves, much like, we have said to ourselves, there has been no day like it before or since. And what we mean by that is a recognition that something big has happened. There is something to celebrate. Days like Juneteenth, days like the passage of the Civil Rights Act, days like the passage of marriage equality, days like LGBTQ workplace protections, days like the preservation of DACA by the US Supreme Court. As people of faith, we know that we will say it again and again because we will not let the sun set while there is still work to do. We will proclaim over and over again as we continue to work for a world that reflects the kingdom of God that there will be more days unlike any other day. So we will work for the day when it isn't a crime to be black, to be poor, to be homeless, to be undocumented. Our neighbors need us to show up for them to defend them, to fight for them when they call. So let us stick with the work, trusting that God is moving in ways we cannot see. And when the sun finally sets, we can say together, 
there has been no day like it before or since. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.